Hey, Reality Family. Welcome once again to the teaching for our Sunday gathering. So grateful that you're joining us today. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Reality, and I hope that we're able to connect sometime soon. We're in a series about the church called What is the Church? Not only is it for this fall season, as many of us are considering you know, going to church and, and getting back into church, but also uh, as we emerge slowly from COVID, we're asking the question, like, what's the value of being part of a church? And what is God's story as pertains to the church? So we're trying to answer that uh, for this, uh, through this series. And we're not only looking at what the Bible says about church, but we're also going to look at uh, the invitation to this church. What are we about and what are we trying to do here? And last week, we started this series by looking at the first about 75% of the story of the Bible uh, as, as pertains to God's people and the church. And so I want to just remind us of what we looked at. On page one, chapter one, verse one, we see the story beginning. And the story is ultimately a story not about us, but about God. He's the main character of the story. But he, he does create us and he wants to be with us and he wants to partner with us for his creative work and his shalom in the world. And when we, uh, he continually wants to partner with us and the video that we looked at was God putting out his hand and us taking his hand in partnership together. But the Bible says we continually take our hand away. We don't partner with God and rather we try to become the main character of the story. But the good news is that God doesn't give up. He's faithful not only to us, but to the world and to his promise to extend shalom. And so again and again and again through that story of the Bible, um, God chooses people and he says, I am going to choose you to make my presence, I'm going to put my presence with you, I'm going to make myself known to you and you will be my vessel for uh, sharing this shalom with the world and extending my kingdom. But we give up, or sorry, we, we don't partner with him again and again. So finally in an act of grace and mercy, God comes himself in the person of Jesus, the, the true and perfect human who partners with God and shows us exactly what partnership is like and what God is like. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he invites us into his story. And I said last week that there's three invitations that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection offers to us. The first is that we're invited to come and be recreated. God didn't come, or Jesus didn't come simply to take care of a little part of our sin problem, but actually to call us back to be recreated into what we were meant to be on page one people who reflect the glory of God into the world. The second invitation of Jesus is an invitation not just to go, that God, because of Jesus, he takes away our kind of sin backpack and now we're free to go into the world, but we're, we're actually free to come. We're free to come into the presence of God, into the relationship that we were made for that stands at the center of the universe, and also free to come into the family of God, into the church. It's an invitation. The invitation of Jesus to salvation is also an invitation to be part of his family. And finally, the invitation of Jesus, uh, the gospel is an invitation of Jesus to participate that God has this mission that he's been on since page one in the Bible. And he invites us into that story to participate with his people in relationship with God as new creations in extending his shalom into the world. So that's what we talked about last week. Now, today we're going to pick up the story a little bit later in a book called Acts. Now, Jesus, uh, in the, in the storyline of the Bible, Jesus has already lived, died, and resurrected. And at the start of the book, he's hanging out with his uh, disciples, the people that he had done ministry with for the first three years. And he says something to them I want to look at in, in chapter one, starting in verse four. Jesus, it says, while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard, about, heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And skipping down to verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This picks up on two themes that we looked at last week. The first is that God truly does want to be with us. That's been his desire since the very beginning of the story. If you remember in our Genesis 1 series, God is creating a temple. That's what he's doing in the six days. The seventh days he comes and he rests inside of it. He lives here with us. His presence is, is with us. And that's God's been God's desire since the very beginning of the story. And in this new covenant that's made through Jesus, he puts his spirit here with us because he does. He longs to be present with you and with I. The second thing is that God uh, wants in or, or in order for us to be the people of God and walk into the commission or the mission that God has for us to be his witnesses, as it says in this passage, we need the presence of God. There's, the Holy Spirit has to be with us in order for us to engage in the participation of the mission and be the church. So let's continue on reading. What do the disciples do? Verse 12, Jesus has gone. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, there's a very important pattern here for how they gathered that we'll look at next week. But what I want us to notice today is that the early church was made up of people who waited and watched for the presence of God. That was one of their practices. So they gathered together and they learned, learned to wait and watch for God's presence to be with them. An inbreaking of God's spirit in their midst. Now, we won't have a second Pentecost, I don't think, which is what this is called, where God's spirit comes in this new and beautiful way for the first time. I believe that God's spirit is here and with us. Uh, it's God's gift to us uh, when we come into his family. But I, do con- I am convinced there is a word for us here. There's a very important message for us here at our current moment in history and an invitation for us to learn how to wait and watch. Now, in order to explain why I think this is true, I'm going to talk about a philo- Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor. Um, and some of you may want to uh, go to sleep at this point in time, but I'm just going to do a, a very quick summary of, some of his, one of his thoughts. And I think it's actually really important for us to understand the moment that we live in. So Charles Taylor uh, worked at McGill for many years, and he wrote a book called The Secular Age, which has won so many prizes. Uh, one person said it's the first book written in the 20, 20th century that people will read, or the 21st century that people will read in the 22nd century. And the, the, it's mobilized, this book is mobilized by the question of why was it so easy to believe in God and uh, in the in idea, for example, of the Holy Spirit coming and resting on people in ages past? And why does it seem so difficult today? So why did it seem so easy back then? And why is it so difficult today? And it's a 900-page book where he writes uh, a history of how this happened in the last 500 years. But I want to just key in on one idea. And there's some pictures here that I hope will help make this clear. So I'm going to describe it, and then I'm going to give you some examples of what this looks like to try to flesh it out for us. So Charles Taylor says, back in the day, it was easy to believe because people were porous. He would use that word porous. And the idea there is that we have people uh, on, you know, here on earth, that's the person standing on the line. And then there's the gods or the spiritual realm or transcendence up above us. And the, the dotted line represents a, a, like a porous membrane that, that God can act 
in people's lives, that they expected this. Taylor uses the word, the word enchanted. He said, in, in the past, the world was an enchanted place, whether that be the God of the Bible or spirits and fairies or other kinds of God, people thought that transcendence was part of their world and could act on them at any point in time. If you read any of the Greek mythology, you'll, you'll see this, that the gods just kind of choose to act on people and the people are kind of like pawns in the story. Or if you read any of the Gospels, you'll see that there are like demon possession, this idea that the, the supernatural acts on people unwittingly. But he says, so that's, that's back in the day. But he says times have changed, that now it's like we've built a, a, a box or some kind of a room, and he calls this the imminent frame that we live inside of, that boxes us in to a story and boxes God out. And it limits our world to the material plane of existence. The things we're limited now, not to, to, to just, sorry, only to things that we can see or we can touch or we can smell. And the stories that we tell are not stories of gods anymore that are coming and acting in our world, but they're stories about human existence and human flourishing, things that we can measure and ways that we can make progress. Maybe one of the greatest examples of this is the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari. And in this kind of a world where we built this dome in the way that we see the world, it's not that God doesn't exist. It's not that God isn't still active in our world, but the way that we uh, interpret the actions of God are all within this imminent frame. So let me give you some examples of this. This may be uh, difficult to understand, but let, I think some examples will help flush it out. Here's the first one. In Acts, we hear a few verses later. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So Luke, the author, is obviously living in a time 2,000 years ago where people were porous because all these things that he sees happening to the people in the story that the wind comes and that the fire comes and that they speak in tongues, he interprets all of that as the acts of God. It's a way of looking at the world, a porous way of looking at the world. Now let's imagine that that exact same story that we just read happened today in an imminent frame world. How might we interpret all the different things that happened, this wind rushing in, the fire on people, and also them speaking in different tongues? Well, if, if we uh, assume that God is not acting in the world, we might just say, oh, it was a windy day. It was a really windy, like a windstorm, maybe a tornado. And maybe inside the house, it knocked over some candles. You know, back in the day, people didn't have uh, electricity. So some candles, it started to burn some things, and they interpreted that as the act of God. But today, we just know it was the wind. Um, and speaking in different tongues, it's probably easier to believe that a few people already spoke in different languages, or maybe they were just talking in gibberish. Uh, or as many people, uh, many scholars might say, it was just like mass hysteria that they had, mass hysteria or mass psychosis that these people had. And you can see the difference. Same story, but just two different interpretations of how and if God can act in the world. And what Charles Taylor is trying to say, and what I think is very true, is that the imminent frame, this way of acting and thinking about the world that boxes God out, the activity of God out, is our world today. Therefore, it's really important that we learn how to see God acting in our world because our um, standard mode of looking at the world is going to assume that God is not at work. Let me give you one more example just to try again to make this really clear. This is a more personal one. When I was in university, a good friend of mine, uh, his dad got quite sick and uh, he was in the hospital. They, they gave him a very short period of time to live. 
So for the first time in my life, I was kind of just taking baby steps in my faith. But, but I, I, I prayed and fasted for my friend, for a friend's dad for a week. And around the end of that week, uh, his dad took a turn and he, he got way better. And in fact, he's still alive today. Now, for me, I was living in a porous time where I assumed that God could act in the world. And so my praying and my fasting was a cry out to to a God who I believed could save and heal my friend's dad. And in fact, that's what I thought happened. But as far as I know, the doctors, none of them became a Christian. They, They became Christians. They weren't like, wow, this is the activity of God in the world. No, they used the language like, oh, he he took a turn for the better. Or he started responding to the medication. Or spontaneous remission. These are the kinds of language that we have in an imminent frame. So you can see the same activity, different people, different ways of thinking about the world, interprets the activity of God differently. Interestingly, my friend lived in the middle. Definitely an imminent frame guy. Not close to faith, but not really open. But in that moment, it's like God poked a few skylights as he knew that I was praying for his dad. And it opened him up to conversations about faith and even reading the Bible for the very first time. He became a little bit more porous, a little more open to the possibility of transcendence in the world. So you can see if if we live in an imminent frame time, which I think we do, even if we're Christians and we believe that God acts in the world, the prevailing narrative in our world is one where God is boxed out. It becomes all the more important that we learn to wait and watch. We learn to see how God is at work in the world. Uh, One of the authors uh, who writes about Charles Taylor, James K. Smith, he says, what we need to learn how to do is punch skylights in the imminent frame, in in this bowl that we have above us that keeps God out. We have to punch skylights. And one of the ways that we do that is we continually remind ourselves of the story of the Bible that we talked about last week, and we're talking about this week, that there is a God who is active in the world. He's an active presence in the world. He's been active in history and trying to partner with us. And he's come most notably in the person of Jesus. And he promises to be active in my world and our worlds today. And this is what we do when we pray, especially when we do something like a a reflective prayer or a prayer of examine, where we take time just to reflect on our day and say, hey, are there any areas of my day where I just missed out? God was active He was at work in my life and the spirit was at work, but I just missed him because I didn't notice because I live in an imminent frame. And so we take the time just to review our day and we ask God, show me where you were at work. The other way we do this is through spiritual friendship or or maybe spiritual directors where we just take time to give attention to what God is doing in our lives and in our world. And that's what we do here as a church, when we take time to come together on a weekly basis to remind ourselves that God is present. That the imminent story, that the the story that there's only material things in the world, that all that matters is human flourishing, and that there's no real transcendent God that acts in the world is not the only story out there, but that God offers us a different one. That there's a glorious God who is shining into our world and continually reaching out his hand to each one of us. He wants to partner with us. But if we want to see that, we need to be a community who learns to watch and wait for God and learns to see what he's doing. So if we're going to wait and watch, so what are we going to wait and watch for? That's an important question. How do we know if and when God is at work? Well, let's again review chapter 2, starting in verse 1. What happens to these uh, men and women? It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. 
Then suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. So how does God show up in this passage? It's through wind and fire. Now, our first inclination is probably to focus on the miraculous nature of what's happening here, of God's appearance. That God's presence, we might think, is so obvious because something extraordinary happened. And I do believe something extraordinary did happen in this time in history. But I also want to, I'm focused more or less on the the miraculous and more on the question of like, how did they know that that was God? You know, how does Luke so assuredly write, "This this is the spirit of God acting in the world? How does Luke know that it, or know that it's not Marduk that's acting or Satan or Zeus or that they just all had some really bad hummus for lunch and they're just kind of wigging out here's the answer to the question Luke knows that the fire and the wind are God's spirit because he knows how God's been present and at work in the past the Greek and Hebrew word for wind is the same as spirit and several times in the Hebrew scriptures the spirit is spoken of as the wind the wind of God. For example, in Genesis 1, we see the spirit, the ruach, the wind of God hovering over the waters, the creative presence of God at work, getting ready to create in the world. Maybe very notably, some of you will know this story in Ezekiel 37, that Ezekiel sees this valley, it says, of dry bones, that there's all these, um, these dead skeletons in, uh, in this valley. And God makes this promise, this prophetic promise, that he's going to put his spirit on his bones and they will live. And this is the part of of the story that's getting carried into Acts 2. And Luke knows all this. So when he experiences the wind, he sees the wind in this room with all these people, he knows the story. And it's a hyperlink to all these things that are happening. And that's how he's able to identify it. Beyond the miraculous, he's able to identify it because he knows that it links up with God's story. God has also appeared as fire many times in the story of Israel. Just a couple of examples. In Exodus 3, many of you will know the story of Moses and the burning bush. That this Moses is walking his sheep and then he sees this bush that is burning but doesn't burn up. And so he turns aside and walks towards it. And it's the presence of God there with him. It's the fire in, in the bush. Exodus 13 is another example where a pillar of fire leads the people of God by night. And so Luke knows all these stories. He knows these are ways that God has been present. And so therefore he knows what to look for in his present moment. And if he hadn't known what he was looking for, then he might not have seen that the spirit of God was at work. And I'm convinced that that's true for the vast majority of us today. That we don't experience the presence of God, not because we don't know uh, that he's not working. It's not because he's not working, but because we don't know what to look for. And that leaves us with only one option for God's spirit. And that's the option of a miracle. And the deep irony of that is if we live in an imminent frame, then we'll always have other explanations for that miracle and why something happened. But the Bible is littered with so many other ways that the Holy Spirit works. Things that we need to be on alert for. Let me just give you a couple examples. There's the still small voice. Uh, In 1 Kings 19, uh, the prophet Elijah has just had a really difficult time. And so he's crying out to God and it says that he goes out to meet God on this mountain and there's this huge wind and there's this huge storm, but God is there in this still, small voice, in the quiet moments of his life, in the silence and in the solitude. That's where God speaks to him and God's presence is made known to him. God's presence is made known in conviction. 
after Peter, we'll, we'll talk through this a little bit in the coming weeks where Peter, um, there, there are people are all filled with the Spirit. Peter gives this amazing sermon. And then it says in verse 37, when all the people heard this sermon, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? That's the work of the Holy Spirit convicting people of their need, as we see several times, and as Peter will say to them, to repent, to stop walking away from God and to turn, receive the grace and mercy of Jesus and start walking and receive the invitation of God to walk back into partnership with him. So the conviction, times that we experience conviction are the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Times that we experience difficulty, trial, and testing can also be times of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of the most interesting uh, parts of, of the Gospels to me is that Jesus gets baptized and, and the Holy Spirit comes on him to empower him to do ministry. And then immediately in most of the Gospels, he goes out into the desert. It says the Spirit drove him out there to be tested by the devil. I think so often in my life and, and for many of us, those times of trial and testing are times where we think God is the most absent. But the Bible would say those are times maybe where God is leading us. He's actually refining us and he's right there with us and he's present in those times of testing. But we'll never know unless we understand the story of God and we're able to identify that in our current moment. The Spirit helps us to cry out, Father. Here's what it says in in Romans 8. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. When we experience that relationship with God, when we cry out to him as our father and we experience him like like in, in Luke 15, the father's arms around us, this is the spirit of God at work in our lives. Moments of delight, delight where God, we feel God's delight on us. Um, Mark 1 is a great example. We looked at in the series when we did, uh, the, the gospel series that we did last year where Jesus is baptized and it says that God, God says to him, you are my son and you I am well pleased. And when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we also receive this sonship. And we receive those words spoken over us. You are my son and you I am well pleased. And any time we feel that the light of God in our lives and on us, this is the spirit at work. Or a longing for justice is another uh, huge storyline in the Bible and the spirit of God. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 32. First it talks about, it says, without God's spirit, We're in a barren desert. But when the spirit is poured out in the world, then it says this, these beautiful words, the desert will become an orchard. The orchard will become like a forest. And then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. This beautiful picture of justice. And finally, there's many more, but one more. It talks about unity. When we're able to be unified with each other despite our differences. Ephesians 4 says to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Anytime we experience these things and so many more, the Bible would say we're experiencing the the spirit of God at work in our lives. And if we're not watching and waiting, we're not being attentive and giving our attention to what God might be doing, and we don't know what the spirit does, then we may be experiencing God's spirit in our lives in so many different ways, but we just don't know it because we're not taking the time to identify it. And this is what it means to be in Acts and in the Bible, the people of God that we take God at his word, that he is at work in our world, just like he's, not, he's never given up. Even when we fail him and when people fail him over and over again, God continues to work and put his hand out in partnership with people. And the great promise at the end of Matthew that Jesus is present with, what, with us, he says, I will be present and I'll be at work in your life. But we are aware enough, so we, 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 we know that we take God at his word, but we're also aware enough of how God has worked 
in the Bible in order to see where he might be at work in our lives and in the lives of others. And this is one other reason, just a quick plug again, of why we can't do solo Christianity. Because it often takes another person to identify the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me give you a quick example. I worked with a girl once who was a, just a phenomenal evangelist when I was working as a campus pastor. And then there was uh, the rest of us who were not <laughs> as, as gifted as her. And there's one guy, um, he's like, I just don't understand what she does. So he partnered with her for a couple days and just followed her around as she had conversations with people. And he came back after one conversation and he was like, I can't remember the exact context, but she had brought up something amazing as she was talking to this girl. And it, it opened up a whole door for gospel ministry. And so this guy said to this girl who was a great evangelist, he said, like, how did you do that? Like, how did you know to bring up her grandma at that moment in time? And she's like, I don't know. This just seemed like the right thing to do. And he said to her, it was amazing just to be, I, I, he said, first of all, I would have never thought to do that. And it was just amazing to be part of that moment where I got to see God working through you. The Holy Spirit at work in your life. Identifying the presence of God working through this other girl. And she was able to see that in a new way because he was present and with her in her life. And that's the same thing, that, that one of the reasons we need to be in a family, need to be with each other, because we'll miss out on identifying those things. Maybe that just happened very regularly to us but don't happen to other people as often. Because you can know all the information and still miss out on the spirit at work without other Christians in your life to point out where God is at work. Okay, so the people of God are a community. We, we, we are a community of people who wait and watch for God's activity in the world. And we also learn what we're looking for. We, we learn from the scriptures how God has worked and we watch what he's doing in the lives of each other. And finally, the people of God are those who are willing to trade in their nets for the mission of God. So not only do we watch and wait, not only do we learn to identify what the Spirit is doing, but we trade in our nets for the mission of God. You might think, nets? What does that have to do with anything? Well, there's a character in this story, Peter. And after the filling of the Spirit that we've talked about in, in Acts uh, 1 and 2, Peter stands up and he delivers this amazing sermon. It starts like this. He says, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. Bold statement. And then he says, the people are thinking they're drunk because they're babbling on and on. He said, we're not drunk. It's only nine, but we're just people who have been with Jesus and we've experienced God breaking in in this moment of history. And all the long-awaited promises of Israel's scriptures are coming true in this moment through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And Peter quotes scripture and he speaks with authority and he talks about the work of God and he ends his sermon like this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that with certainty or with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. A beautiful sermon. But I want you to take or take you back a couple months in Peter's story to a moment not of bravery, but a moment of, of cowardice and failure and falling short. Because Peter, as Jesus is, is uh, being tried before he dies, Peter denies Jesus three times. And the last one, one of them, he, he does in front of a servant girl. And that may mean nothing to us, but in that culture, uh, uh, women were lower than men and, and women couldn't even um, testify in court. And a servant was one of the lowest people in society. And so if Peter had identified with Jesus, nothing bad could have really even happened. But he's so afraid for his life. He's so afraid of, of rejection. And he's so embarrassed to be identified with this Jesus who is about to die 
that he denies him in front of this girl. So what's the difference? What's the difference between these two moments? A moment of cowardice where Jesus, or Peter can't identify with Jesus to a moment where we see in Acts 2 where he's standing up in front of all these people and just preaching boldly about Jesus. Well, the Gospel of John relates the story in the middle. It says Peter has actually, after Jesus has died, he, Peter has disowned Jesus. Jesus has died. Peter goes back to his old story, to fishing. That's his family business. If you remember the beginning of the Gospels, when, when Jesus calls the disciples, that's what he calls Peter away from. He calls him to, to leave his fishing, and I will make you fishers of men, he says. But Peter, in his embarrassment um, and in, in, his, um, uh, in his loss and rejection, goes back to that old story. And it's a good story. It's a story of stability. You know, he's got a good job. Uh, he's got money. And he's got a family that he can go back to. But Jesus comes and meets him at the end of the Gospel of John, and he eats with Peter. And in that culture, and I think in ours today, meeting, eating together with someone was a way of extending friendship and fellowship with them. And he restores Peter back into relationship with him. And he asks him this question, do you love me, Peter? And then he, he calls him back into service. He says, I want you to feed my sheep. Stop with your nets, pulling fish out of the sea to feed people and instead come and feed my sheep. Be part of my, the, my mission and, and my ser- be, so come serve me. Be part of my work in the world. Let go of your nets again and come and join me in the great story that is my mission in the world. What about you and what about me? You know, I'm super glad that you're taking some time to listen to this sermon wherever you are and, and whoever you are. And if you're listening, you've traded some time in to spend time with me uh, this, this morning or today. Maybe you've traded brunch for watching on a Sunday. Or maybe you've traded listening to a finance podcast or something like that to listen to this one. And, and that's awesome. And that's so great. But during COVID, I think that many of us took a lot of steps away from God's invitations in our lives. And we've grabbed old nets. Maybe it's a home renovation that's taking up all of your time and your energy and your effort. Or maybe it's worrying about the vaccine, whether it's people who are vaccinated, people who are unvaccinated, the vaccine passport. You've just grabbed onto that net and that's the thing that's occupying your life right now. Or maybe you just got into some hobby, you know, you're just super into sourdough or gardening or whatever it is, and that's really the nets that you've grabbed up in the, in, during COVID. And today I wanna to close by just wanting you to hear the invitation of God through the story of Peter. It's not an invitation to do more or to to try to earn anything from God, but an invitation to believe what Peter has declared, that God has made this Jesus, whom we've crucified, who they crucified, the Lord and Messiah. Because the call of the gospel is the same today as it was back then, that Jesus, our suffering Savior, is reigning and ruling in the world. And he longs to work through his people, through the church, And his spirit is at work in the world, in your life, waiting for us to partner with and join him. So will you take the opportunity, whatever that looks like, to let go of your nets today, to start identifying the work and the the spirit's activity in your life, to take time to, to wait and to watch with us for what God is doing in our midst, to learn what the spirit does do, and to be part of a community where you can point out the work of God's spirit in other people's lives. And to let go of your nets, whatever those might look like, in order to join God and God's people here in his mission in the world.
Would you join with me in prayer? God, thank you so much for this passage and uh, for this invitation in so many ways into your story. We thank you that you're active in our world. and pray that you would give us, um, help us to see where you are at work. Help us to wait and to watch and to have eyes to see even in the imminent frame how you might be at work in our midst. I pray that you would help us to point that out in other people's lives and to receive it from each other. Help us to know how you have acted in the past, that we might see you today. And I pray for each one of us that you would, we would let go of our, our nets and that we would instead learn to love and follow you and be caught up in your story and that you would do great and mighty works through the church in Vancouver as you did in the gospel or in the book of Acts. We thank you for this and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.